0: You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Indians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis, formerly of 24-7, formerly of Scout, formerly of just about every Cleveland sports blog imaginable. I want to thank you for making Locked on Indians your first listen every morning. Locked on Indians is free and available on all podcasting platforms. So it's the off season, and that means alternative content, frankly, for lack of a better word. And one of that alternative things is discussing the draft. People like it. I like it. It's fun to go back and dig into these things. So let's talk drafts. Let's find some interesting ones. And when I was thinking, what draft would we better to cover today? The first one that came to mind was the 1981 draft. Now, this is the last draft to occur before I was alive. I would come around later that summer. Uh, and there's some fun things at the top of this one. One, it's a draft pick where the first player came out of Colgate University. That is unusual. Two, the Indians would draft a player who would later go on to play at Penn State. Uh, as you can guess, his baseball career was not the most successful, and that led to that. Uh, they would, in the second round, get a pitcher who would help them for a good chunk of the 80s. But yeah, it's some fun stuff to dive into. Before we dive into that, though, before we really get into, you know, the nitty gritty of the 1981 uh, NBA draft, and they almost said NFL MLB draft, Major League Baseball draft, I want to talk about something. Um, There's a lot of great bloggers out there. Uh, There's a lot of great writers out there. And because I have the podcast, you know, a lot of people hit me up with trade ideas. And one of the big consistencies, and this isn't to call anyone out, um, you know, there's some people doing great work out there uh, Grizz, I don't know if you actually listen to the podcast or not. You're just the most recent one who has hit me up with this idea. Uh, and I want to thank him. The reason I was even mentioned is because he was referencing me as having the original idea. So it's always cool when I see accreditation like that. So I want to give credit to Grizz for that. And Grizz has some, uh, some really fun takes. He's a good follow, uh, on Twitter. There's more to his name. I should really do the, the nice thing, give you his full name. I'll do that. But the idea being taking my original idea and expanding on it with, uh, you know, trade with the Cubs and what makes sense. And uh, so, oh, Grizz's name is at Cleveland DRT. So I didn't even have his name correctly. Uh, now, Grizz and I don't always agree. I know our prospect views are, are very different on uh, some guys, but uh, you know, a uh, smart, fun guy worth your time on uh, the Twitters. So he hit me up and he's like I said, the most recent one about this idea of using Nolan Jones in a trade. And I just want to talk about why Nolan Jones is very, very, very maybe the second least likely prospect to be traded one he's hurt he's going to require off season surgery on his ankle that's going to scare teams off that's going to crater value teams don't like to acquire players coming off of surgery that's just same reason ty freeman might be honestly the least likely player to be traded by the indians is because he's coming off of a labrum surgery i want to say and that's even scarier an ankle surgery And number two, the Indians love distressed assets. Ahmed Rosario, distressed asset. You can go back, Carlos Carrasco was a distressed asset when they got him Uh, in that deal. I mean, Quantrell, distressed asset. These are all players whose values were down. They love, love, love to go out and find that guy who is, their value is down. That is what they target. That's what they go for. That's what they actively look for in trades often. Nolan Jones is a distressed asset. He didn't have a bad year by any means, but the overriding view on him is not as strong as it was a year ago. I want to remind everyone, like it's a matter of eye of the beholder. A lot of places, he was not that highly ranked. Uh, Fangraphs had him 102 midseason, but the Zips projection system had him like t- one of the top 10 prospects in baseball. And the power is still there. The hit tool is always, you know, I don't know if he's ever going to hit lefties. Let's just put it on, on front street. He could be like, you know, a Russ Brannion type. I know Russ Brannion has had off the field stuff. Let's just focus with the on the field, but there's definitely some Brannion-esque vibes and that's still a productive major leaguer. Uh, Even if he's a guy who just mashes righties, uh, that's going to be the majority of the guys you face if you put him in the bottom of your lineup and he is a platoon. I mean, I would, for the last five years, how much would you have killed for a guy who could face righties and hit 35 home runs and walk 15% of the time? Sure, he's going to strike out at a high percent, which does. I mean, that's the big concern, right? At the end of the day, if there's a reason to really ding him, is this year the strikeout uh, strikeout percentage got up to 30. And Akron is 29.9. But at the same time, I'm just going to point out 14% walk rate. So there's a reason the kind of balances it. He is that guy who's going to take a ton of pitches. 13 home runs might seem disappointing. The 113 runs created plus was the worst of his career. But before that, like 147, 157, 162, 147, he... Hit the ball, hit the ball hard at every stop. His bat pip was still well over 300, which is interesting for a uh, not a player with speed. He's a good athlete. Don't get me wrong. He's a very good athlete. It uh, probably doesn't get enough credit for his athleticism. He did steal 10 bases, uh, but he's a better athlete than you think. And yeah, he was dealing with things. Uh, he had a shoulder issue earlier in the year. He was beat up. I just can't see them selling on a guy who had a down year, but still has. Know raw power-wise, potentially the best power in the entire system. Still, I think he has the best raw power in the game. He's still working to really access it, and you know he'll turn 24 in April. It's not like he is a prospect who's been around forever. Sorry, I have the Browns game in on the background, and um, there was fumble number two, and I had to stop myself from saying some very naughty words on the air there. Uh, (laughs) But if you are, uh, so we're going to move from that. But the thing again with Jones is he's 23 still a relatively young kid, six foot four. He's still figuring it out Uh, for everyone really willing to give up on him when he's never even been in the big leagues yet. It's crazy. And then I also understand like, okay, so he's got a relative trade value, but I I just don't think the trade value is quite there. I don't think when a player needs ankle surgery, you're going to find a huge return in value. And I think that it just makes, he is very unlikely. I I just can't see him being moved on. And, you know, the, the other big thing is, I mean, he started the year so badly uh, that he really came back. And there's some things that they need to work on with him. There were some holes in his swing that they worked on throughout the year. And he could absolutely end up being a trade asset, especially if he comes back, rebounds, and they don't have a natural spot for him. Uh, again, I will point out that like first base is still pretty much un, you know, undecided. It's an open situation. Third base is very likely um, at some point next year to become a similar spot. So it's, it, he has some natural places he can move into. And we'll see if they spend. Uh, That's always kind of the elephant in the room. But if he comes back and rebounds, uh, his value is going to double easily just because everyone will be able to write off the down year. And again, it's a down year where where he started off very slow and still had a runs created plus at a 113, still walked 14.5% of the time, still had double-digit home runs, double-digit stolen bases. There's some positives there. But due to injury specifically, that's the first reason it's going to make him hard to trade. And two, just the Indians buy low. They don't sell low. So we will see. But I think that Nolan Jones is not that guy. I think, honestly, you know, who would they trade? Infielders have the most value. They have many infielders. I don't think it would be Freeman, who's hurt. I don't think it would be Arias, who's that close to the big leagues and was just recently such an important acquisition for them. And I know people don't like it when I mention it, but it's like when you are doing the calculus of it all, uh Jimenez's value is down so he's also unlikely to be traded right now they have to add players yeah a Chang and a Clement could be trade pieces but what's the value on a Chang and a Clement so it kind of comes down to someone like Tenya somebody like Rokio now I would really prefer not to trade Rokio uh and but again if you want to trade something you have to get something and that's it's always where I struggle you know, Jones and Freeman are hurt. They're hard to trade. Arias is all the way up in AAA performing and has the best glove and the best power of the grouping. Uh, when you're, you got to trade, if you're like I said, if you want to get a top prospect, you have to, or, you know, a top hitter, you have to give something up. And Brokio is going to be a player who's in demand, who's on the 40 man. I would prefer not to. I'd really, I, I'm getting to the point, honestly, Honestly, if he was healthy, and I, again, the same reason Jones is hard to trade, Ty Freeman is hard to trade, I think I like Rocchio more than I like Freeman because I've talked about Freeman kind of being a one-tool player right now. Uh, you know, We'll get into more of this as the offseason goes through. We're going to instead take a quick commercial break, come back and talk about the 1981 draft. Long story short with all of this is Freeman and Jones are hard to trade. It limits those upper-tier guys, like Espino. I'm more Espino's the guy <laughs> from that top grouping uh, that I'm most comfortable with because pitchers are... Uh, you know, so injury prone, so risky, but when you have so many infielders, it makes sense to move them. And then you have to figure out which infielder makes the most sense, who has the most value. It's a difficult uh, calculus to figure out, but we will work through that throughout the year. We're gonna take that commercial break. Now, come back, talk about the 1981 MLB draft. You've seen the commercials with Serena Williams, everyone. It's time to get your TV together. Does this sound familiar? You got one device that lets you catch the game live, another lets you stream your favorite shows. You're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's log in for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream. It brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports movies and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the best part... There's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible devices required. Content varies by package. So I want to apologize. The baby is not in the room, but uh, for anyone who's had a newborn baby, uh, you know that uh, it travels. So I think it is getting picked up in the very background when he gets very loud. That's um, just what's happening. I don't really have a great way to fix or change that. Um, But yeah, I just wanted to apologize. Now let's talk 1981 MLB draft. Seattle Mariners with the first pick in the draft. Uh, And I think I said Colgate before I was wrong. Wrong smaller school. Uh, Oral Roberts was the school. Still not what we typically see in terms of high picks. Uh, Second overall pick is Wichita State. Now the player from Wichita State got the second highest bonus in the first round, and that's Joe Carter. The highest bonus went to Terry Blocker of Tennessee State University. He went to the Mets with the fourth overall pick. Uh, Kevin Reynolds, the outfielder from Arkansas who went to the Padres, got the also got over a dollars and Ron Darling, who went to the Rangers got also over a hundred thousand. Mike Moore, who was that Oral Roberts pitcher, got 100,000, so he was there's what the fifth highest bonus. In terms of war though, he had the third best war in this first round. Uh, Kevin McReynolds, who we mentioned had the best, the outfielder. Uh, then Mike Moore, then Joe Carter. That might be a surprise to some people that he had the third-best war. Then Ron Darling, then Dick Scutfield. Now these players all went 6-1, 2-9-3. Uh, it's not till you get John Caretti and then Dave Anderson in the 20s to kind of break up that group of you know players who went in the top 10. The Indians picked 13th that year, and they took a player by the name of George Alpert, from Livingston High School in Livingston, New Jersey, Albert was a uh, an athlete. This is a guy who was a great wide receiver. He was a great baseball player. Uh, if you listen to the very front of the show, I talked about the fact that uh, you know when he gave up on baseball, he decided to go back and play football, and he gave up on baseball because in 1981 he played 67 games, uh, and then. He had a 566 OPS for Batavia, goes to Waterloo, gets in 93 games, ends up with a 595 OPS, a 219 batting average. I mean, he couldn't do anything well. You can just look at the numbers. He was an athlete, but it wasn't translating. 1983, gets in 19 games, tears up his knee, ends up needing arthroscopic, arthroscopic knee surgery, uh, enrolls at Penn State, doesn't play that year. He would then go on to play for Penn State in 83 and 84. I uh, had... Four receptions and six receptions, playing mostly special teams, to get one touchdown uh, on those ten receptions for 179 yards. So he uh, he got a nice bonus as the 13th pick in the draft. Like he did not, uh, he was well thought of. There isn't a whole bunch on him because you know draft picks in the uh, early '80s were not exactly what they are nowadays. Uh, he got $80,000 over using the West aid calculator. That's worth about $254,000. This is a time where draft picks just did, nowadays it'd be the equivalent nowadays of two hundred fifty four thousand. Uh, I mean, like I said, you can look. Mike Moore, the Mike, yeah, Mike Moore, who was ended up being one of the best players in this class. That eighty thousand was just twenty thousand less. Uh, I have him having a bonus. I mean, the only players after him that beat him for bonus were Vance Lovelace, who got eighty five, and Darren Dilks, who got eighty five. I mean, he beat Dick Schofield the shortstop from Griffin high school who would have a nice career with the angels. Uh, He only got 70. He beat him and he was the third overall pick. He got more money in the seventh overall pick. He got more money than a lot of uh, prep and college players who were drafted uh, in this draft. He had like I said about the 10th highest bonus at the time amongst first round picks. Not a great pick. Uh, When the guy doesn't get out of a ball, that's, that's not a great pick. I do appreciate uh, for that era, taking the gamble. You're taking a cold-weather player who's a good enough wide receiver that he goes to Penn State after you know not playing for a few years, having arthroscopic knee surgery, and still gets in the games. He may not have been a starter at Penn State, but he was good enough to play in the 80s um, on that Penn State team. I hope he saved up his money. I don't know really what happened to him too much after that, but he got a nice chunk of change, could show up. you know. I don't know if he lived on campus or not it could be like, yeah, I I made $80,000, played baseball for three years, and now I'm going to be on the football team. That has to be just uh, some cool cachet at the time for him. Who should they have taken? Well, based on war, Dave Anderson, who are from the University of Memphis, who the Dodgers took at 22, John Carudi, who I mentioned, who went uh, from Amherst College, again, not exactly a a well-known baseball school, went uh, 21 to the Blue Jays, and... I mean, the first round, let's, let's be honest, that's a 5.9, a 5.7. The next best war, Mark Grant, a 2.2 out of Joliet Catholic in Joliet, uh, Illinois. Uh, in terms of just looking at Amherst College, uh, they've produced two major leaguers. The other one, drafted by the Indians in 1980, uh, the year before, uh, Rich Thompson, who had 21 games or 77 games in the big leagues, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't really remember him. That's, that's when I was a, a, a wee one. Uh, and then if we look at the uh, Oral Roberts of it all, they had a little more success in there. Uh, I mean, Mike Moore is definitely the best player. Keith Lockhart, Todd Burns, Mike Mason, Keith Miller, uh, Tyler Saladino, Jordan Romano, Jose Trevino um, are probably the big ones. Chichi Gonzalez, that's where I would seen his na- the name recently with them. The pitcher for the Rangers was a first-round pick. Uh, They have had in the traditional draft. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven first rounders. um, If I'm looking at the data correctly. So yeah, yeah, it's a a mid-major program that's had some success, but Moore was definitely an outlier for them. Uh, We will dive into the second round and all of that fun stuff in the second part of the show. We'll kind of do the deep digging. Talked about the first round, talked about George Alpert. Again, fascinating in the regard that he played for three years, hurt his knee, had to find a, you know, had to get his knee fixed, needed arthroscopic knee surgery in the early 80s, which for some would have been a career ender, and then found his way to Penn State to be good enough to play in 23 games and have 10 catches. Uh, You know, fascinating, good on him, great story. I wish it worked out better for the Indians. But I also do not think that that is a bad selection. That is a good gamble on talent, ceiling, and upside. And the rest of the draft produced really only two guys who showed any sign of being even a league average major leaguer in terms of that first round. We'll talk more in a second. And that's sponsor our good friends at BuiltBar.com. Right now having a flash sale. Cookie Dough Chunk on sale. Rocky Road, Strawberry Puff, Cherry Lime are your special flavors. Cookie Dough is while supplies last. Uh, I love Built Bar. I'm going to have Built Bar for breakfast the day you're listening to this show, probably lunch as well, because when you don't have a lot of time, a protein bar is just a perfect thing. These are delicious. They are tasty. Some protein bars, it feels like you're eating granite. Others, it's chew, chew, chew. And you know you're eating something healthy because it tastes terrible. Built Bar tastes great and it's good for you. It gets an A for my health food app and gets an A for my stomach. Check out Built Bar for yourself. Go to builtbar.com. Use the promo code Locked15. That's the promo code I use when I place all of my orders, and I place many orders because I love this product. I use this product. I can say this is a product I support. I know. I use. I love. BuiltBar.com. Remember that promo code is Locked15. So the Indian second round has been. We've talked about it in the past of the show almost snake bitten. Uh, it has been a round of failure and struggle. Uh, at the best of times. If I were to click over and do the, you know, the best second-round picks in, in Indians franchise history, it would fall apart very quickly. Uh, you know, why not? Let's just do it. You know, second-round picks: Jason Kipnis and Albert Bell are kind of your guys. Sean Casey is the third highest war of any second round pick and the fourth highest war of any second round pick and that player is neil heaton neil heaton was a left-hand pitcher out of the university of miami the florida one not the ohio one appear in over 200 games accumulated 80 wins and even make an all-star team in 1990 at the age of 30 with the pirates you know, he had some good years with the ra plus uh, you know being a compiling stat his first two years with the indians his second year in the big leagues was one of his stronger ones we had a 4.16 era uh he had a 4.51 strikeout per nine and a 2.7 walk per nine for his career I mean he was he would not work in today's baseball 4.2 strikeout per nine 3.1 walk per nine 1.0 home run per nine this is from 82 to 93 and a hit per nine of 9.5 his FIP was a 437 though so relative to the rest of the league I mean that's not bad 1500 innings played for the uh the Indians for five years, that's the most. in the Pirates, the Expos, Kansas City, Minnesota, New York, and Milwaukee for all of one inning. Played from age twenty-two to age thirty-three. And again, you know, has the fourth best war of any pick in uh Indians second round history. Uh he had been taken by the Mets in the first round of the January draft phase. We talked about that when we talked talking about George Hendrick on Friday, how that's a bit of a weird one. Uh in nineteen you he'd be draft eligible in 1981 and that's when the indians drafted him you know we talked about this is the 1981 draft after all uh in that draft some big names uh you know the highest war of any player to mention so far mark langston went in the second round to the mariners via the rangers if you're curious how the uh mariners got that pick it was for compensation for signing bill stein frank viola and mark gubiza uh all went in that round. Uh, Langston was out of San Jose State, another non-traditional. Frank Viola was St. John's, non-traditional. And then William Penn Charter School, which has had a few other players, uh, had Mark Gubiska, uh, Mike Gallego, who'd go on to be, I always think of him with Oakland. Darren Jackson, who had a really strong, long career. Sid Bream. Uh, That's all the second round. The second round was much better in the first round, by far, in the 1981 draft uh who could have the indians drafted of all of those players i mentioned only sid bream everyone else was taken before uh they took neil heaton and heaton has the next highest one on that list so that is a solid pick who else did the indians draft and sign that's important to point out the signing point who made the big leagues most of you talk about who they drafted and didn't make who they didn't sign that made it matt kinzer a right-handed pitcher who they took out of uh, norwell high school in the fifth round tommy Gregg in the ninth round out of richard j jenkins high school Terry Wells in the 11th round out of Westview High School. Jim Pasororick out of University of Michigan. Brad Arnsberg out of Medford High School. Uh, Passoric was a 14th rounder. Arnsberg was a 19th rounder. Chuck Jackson in the 21st round out of Ingram High School. And Keith Miller in the 24th round out of uh, Bay City All Saints High School. In Michigan, uh, so who did they actually sign that made the big leagues? Well, you got Neil Heaton, and you got Dwight Taylor, who appeared in four games. Who was their seventh-round pick out of uh, the University of Arizona, an outfielder. The rest of these players I mentioned, no one signed. Uh, everyone they signed did not make it. Everyone they, you know, not everyone. Uh, according to this, you know, they had 8.9 total WAR for this draft, and nine players, 36 percent of their class. They only had 26 picks that year. They decided to. End early, made it, uh, but that's not really a true case, just because of their struggles. You know that they that yes, technically nine players made it, but only two players made it who signed. Man, Dwight Taylor's got some great glasses. If you go look him up, pinch runner, designated hitter, center fielder. Uh, never played for the Indians, but did have those four games, two plate appearances, and two at bats with Kansas City. More of a career minor league minor league type. So the Indians didn't have a lot to show. Uh, if we were to talk about, you know, I always like to look at kind of the, the top three rounds. Third round, uh, this is where this the the stars of this class are. Uh, third round has Tony Gwynn. That's right, the Indians passed twice on Tony Gwynn out of San Diego State University. And then uh, David Cohn at our Rockhurst High School in Kansas City, Missouri was... Had the next best war and if you're curious those are the two highest war players in this class uh, Sid Fernandez would be amongst the top 10 players in this class out of Kaiser High School in uh, St. Louis Phil Bradley ended up with a war of uh, 18.6 I was really not familiar with him he was the first pick uh, University of Missouri in the third round uh, Gwyn and Cohn are the top two players in this class yeah, Fernandez, like I said, would be in the top 10. You go back. And if you remember that first round, the highest war of any of those players was a 30 side note, we just had another screaming jag. So uh gave me some time to do some looking Phil Bradley, totally. One of those guys who played in the wrong era, uh, did get some MVP votes. The one year he had more than 20 home runs that year. He had 33 doubles, eight triples, 26 home runs, and uh 675 uh, on base percentage the next year's on base was 405 this guy walked a lot 50 77 84 54 70 times peak with the mariners uh but i think i just look at him and then one year in philly one year in baltimore uh just different era i i feel like you know i don't know all the names here and all these trades i'm like i I i'm just guaranteeing you he was not properly valued for his time so phil Bradley. Uh, way to go. Uh, you should have, uh, you're like Randy Milligan. You're going to make that my Randy Milligan team of players who were much better than they ever got credit. Fourth round. Uh, so who could they have had in the third round with their pick? Now, yes, all of these players they passed on twice. But in terms of like the war rankings, they had the 13th overall pick. So that means that they could have had uh, Cone and Sid Fernandez uh, amongst those players. If we move to the fourth round, we get another famous guy. We get Paul O'Neill to the Reds, who from Brookhaven High School in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, the Indians could have had him. Yeah, he went to the Reds with pick 16. The Indians were picking 13 in this draft. Uh, From Bellflower High School with the 26th pick uh, was uh, future Indian Eric Plunk. So you have multiple future Indians in this class. Shane Mack doesn't sign as a fourth-round pick to the Royals later... uh, believe isn't he that played with the twins on those really good twins teams came back to haunt them their inability to sign him we have plunk and o'neill and then in the fifth round uh, in terms of the names mickey tennleton and john franco as well as bip roberts who did not sign and uh bill wegman all of those players would have been available for the indians uh, So this is, it's an interesting class. I will say just in the regard that you can keep going, that every round actually had a few guys work out. Uh, Your sixth round, if we keep going, and just guys who signed Devin White and Mike uh, Paligli-Rulo, you know, had a war over 10. So that's a productive player. Uh, But I mean, Devin White had a, a huge career. To get to a round where we don't get that guy, it's like the seventh round. And again, to have an, an all-star talent in the top six. Uh, eighth round does have a unsigned Mark McGuire sighting in it. Your ninth round gets you Fred McGriff drafted by the Yankees in the ninth round. That's another, you know, huge talent that was available very late. And he did sign, if you're curious, like did he sign? Yes, he signed with the Yankees as a ninth round pick, so he was a very unlikely uh, to the big leagues, just guy in general is a 1980s pick as a high school kid. Uh, other fun players of note, uh, the 12th round, the Mets out of San Jacinto Junior College took Roger Clemens, were unable to sign him. This is back when you could have paid anyone too. just there. In the 13th round, you get Danny Cox and Lenny Dykstra, both who signed uh, it with those picks. So there's, there's some names going deep. And, you know, the, the Indians did well with Neil Hunt, Heaton was a solid player, long career, fourth-best second-round pick in team history. But other than that, it was a big, fat strikeout. The 1981 draft was a good draft overall. Uh, Talent throughout, who signed multiple Hall of Famers, multiple multi-time All-Stars, and just depth. A lot of good players went. You could make a whole team out of the good players in this draft class uh, without having any massive holes. How about in the 19th round, going to the Yankees? Again, finding talent late, Bob Tootsbury. Who, again, yes, he signed. I'm only telling you guys who signed. Second best war in that round uh, belongs to Brad Arnsberg with a negative war, who was the guy the Indians drafted and could not sign. Uh, Vince Coleman didn't sign, but he was taken in the 20th. You know, there was, like I said, end of the day, it is a solid draft class. A team like the Yankees who got Tootsbury and McGriff late. I don't even know what the rest of their class looked like that year but that's a win. The Padres got Tony Gwynn. Guess what? They won. Uh, The Mets, the Dodgers did super well in there. So let's see. You know, the Yankees got uh, McGriff, they got Tewsbury, they got Mike Pallarulo, and they got Eric Plunk. That is a really strong class for them. Uh, And if you're, they didn't have a first round of that year uh, because they they signed Gaylord Perry. Or no, they got a third round pick for signing Gaylord Perry. I don't know. I don't have in front of me why they lost their first, their second round pick. Um, was a future Hall of Famer in football it was John Elway they took him the second round they were going to pay him they, he was the leverage they were the leverage team uh, for that but so they they took elway didn't have a first rounder and then got some really nice players that's a great draft that there stands out just going through the Dodgers had a fantastic draft that year helped build those 80s teams Dave Anderson we talked about in the first round was a solid player played 800 games in the big league Sid Bream A lot of games in the big leagues. John Franco and Sid Fernandez. Those are some players providing value late uh, in their class. And then the Mets are the other team that, atop my head, stood out. Uh, Yeah, they gave a ton of money to Terry Blocker. You know, highest signing bonus. He didn't give them much. Uh, I somehow missed Mark Carrion who, in my my mind, had much greater value than he performed. Maybe the Mets weren't as strong. Uh, Lenny Dykstra was a good pick. And then Clemens was the failure sign, so maybe confusing because there were future Mets players like Darling and Fernandez who went to other teams uh, that didn't necessarily get drafted by the Mets. Uh, the Indians, it was a bad draft. There's no other way around it. My draft year, uh, the year of my birth, uh, was not a successful draft by the Cleveland Indians. It took a very interesting player, it took an athletic guy in round one. I can't fault him there. Second round, they got a solid pitcher who pitched a lot in the big leagues. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, they could have gone Tony Gwynn in round one and David Cohn round two. And imagine imagine what those 90s Indians <laughs> might have been like. Now, that's to say they don't trade those guys away. But, yeah, you know, just take a second and think. It's it's fun to imagine. It's fun to go back and do the hut, shoulda, woulda, couldas of the world. Uh, Tony Gwynn's numbers, by the way, and I should say even before that, you know, Gwynn fell to the third round because he was chubby. He was viewed as a bad athlete, uh, you know, bad body. I should also point out that you say that about a guy who was also uh, has the San Diego State all-time assist records in basketball for a single season and a career, uh, averaged over eight assists while playing in a Division I basketball program. So teams were dumb back then. There's no other way around it. Uh, yeah, he was short, and he was he was roly. You know, he was 5'11", 220, not the natural body build. Uh, and part of that is why he was able to slide a bit in the draft uh but again this is a guy who's a division one basketball player who just destroyed baseballs in college i mean he was not a power hitter that was never his game maybe saying destroyed baseballs isn't the right way to put it but it is funny to see how much baseball can miss on somebody uh because of being undersized and having a little more weight on him Uh, again great basketball player but they looked past that to just look at his height and everything else And he would be drafted in 81. He'd make the big leagues in 82. And in 83, in limited time, he would hit uh, 300. He'd be there to stay in 84, where he hit 351. And, you know, would stay in San Diego through 2001. Yeah, 2000, 2001 were not great years. But just, again, picture him on those Indians teams. And he is exactly the type of guy that the forward-thinking Indians front office of years later would target. The undersized performer, the multi-sport athlete, the guy who is... uh, not given proper valuation because of outdated scouting stuff that was tony Gwynn, who is the definitely the star of the 1981 draft class there are other fun names but this will always be the tony Gwynn draft i want to thank everyone for listening and thank you for making locked in indians your first listen go check out some of the other great locked on uh content i maybe not locked on browns after this past weekend go check out locked on Cavs. uh you know at least there there's some positivity of the upcoming season i've been jeff ellis this has again been locked indians remember to rate and review it really helps Uh, we have the number four podcast in China for baseball, you you know, take what we can get where we can get it. Uh, thank you all again and go, go guardians go.